0: Before the show gets started, I want to take a minute to talk to you about our new affiliate sponsor, Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web is a leader in CBD hemp products, including oils, gummies, and topicals. These products can assist you with anything from faster fitness recovery to getting a better night's sleep. They even have products for dogs. Personally, I like the gummies best, and I'm telling you, the sleep gummies have helped me improve the quality of my sleep. I take two gummies 20 minutes before bed, and it helps me unwind from a long day to get a great night's rest. I also love supporting Charlotte's Web because they are committed to unlocking opportunities for women to succeed through the Women's Bean Project. You can learn more about that project or any of their products by going to their website, charlottesweb.com. As a loyal podcast listener, you can receive 15% off of items up to five max and not including bulk purchases. All you have to do is just enter the word dynamic at checkout to receive 15% off of Charlotte's Web CBD hemp products. That's charlottesweb.com with the code dynamic at checkout to get your discount. Thank you so much to Charlotte's Web for being an affiliate sponsor of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Leadership Academy Network. I am your host, Colin Cernelia, and thank you so much for joining us today. Please head over to talent409.com to learn more about how we can help your team or organization with their leadership and culture development. This podcast is available on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast plus don't forget you can now play this podcast on any amazon enabled device just ask alexa play the dynamic leaders podcast getting
1: dynamic leaders with call and from apple podcasts
0: before this episode begins please consider taking a minute and leave a rating and review doing this really does help us grow the show and you can get featured for your review on a future episode On to my featured conversation today. I am joined by Becca Greenwell. Becca is a guard for the WNBA's Washington Mystics, and she played her college hoops at Duke University. She was a 2013 McDonald's High School All-American, and she has also worked for the Atlanta Hawks and is now doing work supporting grassroots basketball and events for the National Basketball Players Association. Becca is a grinder, We talk a lot about her battling back from injuries, and she is trying to get back to full strength so that she can make her WNBA debut. She also has so many other gifts and interests to offer, and we talk about some of that as well in this conversation. So let's not waste any more time, and let's discover our talent altitude. Here is my talk with Becca Greenwell. Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, my guest on the line with me is Rebecca Greenwell. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining the show.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: Yes. And we have a ton to talk about. I think your background is so unique and very interesting to say the very least. But before we get too far into the conversation, first, I want to give you an opportunity, as I do with all my guests. You can tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself. So please tell us, who are you?
1: Okay, so like you said, my name is Rebecca Greenwell. I go by Becca, typically. Um, I'm from Owensboro, Kentucky, originally. Small rural community in Kentucky. Grew up playing basketball my whole life. Was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to play at Duke University. Um, which was an incredible opportunity for me. I loved every minute of it. I was there for five years. Redshirted my freshman year, so I was able to get a fifth year out of it and also got a graduate degree out of that. I got a master's degree at the business school, which was an amazing experience um, to cap off my career at Duke like that. On the court, we had a lot of success. We reached the Sweet 16 twice. Off the court, I made so many valuable friendships and relationships that I will carry with me my entire life. Um, so, I really don't have a negative thing to say at all about my experience at Duke. Once I graduated, I was drafted in the WNBA draft, um, the 2018 draft to the Washington Mystics, which was always a lifelong dream of mine to be drafted and play in the WNBA. But unfortunately, due to injury, I haven't been able to play just yet. i actually had a surgery the same day as the draft back in 2018, and since then, it's been a very, very long road to recovery with a lot of obstacles that we can jump into later in this podcast. Um, so I haven't quite reached that dream of playing in the WNBA yet, but have enjoyed the process of hopefully getting there one day. But now I'm currently living in Atlanta and I work for the Atlanta Hawks in basketball development and also do some color commentating for women's college basketball on the side. So that's a little bit about me.
0: Awesome. So I want to backtrack us a little bit and start. You were a decorated basketball player growing up. McDonald's All-American, for those who don't know, is one of the, the biggest recognitions you can get in the sport, men's or women's basketball. You've since had your high school jersey retired. So I'd have to imagine that at some point early in your high school career, maybe it was even in middle school, that you knew you were going to be able to take this to the next level. When did that whole recruitment start to get real for you? Like when was the moment where maybe Duke stood out and was like, hey, this could be a real possibility?
1: Right. So I was very fortunate at a young age. My parents sensed that I may have some talent. Um, so my stepdad was very um, supportive. And at a young age, he would take me all over the country to different college camps. So he was very proactive about my recruitment process. Um, I grew up going to University of Tennessee's camps starting at age 10, I would say. I used to be a huge Lady Vol fan, Pat Summit fan, as, as probably every young girl was um, at some point in their life. But around that time that I was going to Tennessee camp, he would take me to Duke camp, Carolina camp, Kentucky, Louisville, just about every major D1 women's basketball program out there. And it was actually in seventh grade where the recruitment process really picked up because I was playing varsity basketball already um, and having a lot of success on that level. And my first college scholarship offer was actually um, in the seventh grade from our rival school, University of North Carolina. And Duke soon followed suit after they heard that Sylvia Hatchell had a, a scholarship offer to me out on the table. And so... Duke offered me that next summer, the summer of my eighth grade year, which is hard to believe looking back. And then soon after, all the other colleges um, followed suit. I always had a great relationship with Duke, with the players, um, the coaches. I loved the campus, everything about it. And eventually ended up deciding on Duke um, my senior year. But just to be able to have that relationship over the years from eighth grade to my senior year. By the time I finally committed, I I definitely felt 100% about the decision. And looking back, it was definitely the best decision I've ever made. So really an awesome experience, and I'm super thankful for it.
0: Would you mind diving into a little bit about what made that experience so good? I I know I have a few things in mind that I might ask you about if you don't cover them, but I'm curious if you want to share with the listening audience, what are some of those experiences that made it such a a good time for you at Duke and and made it so memorable?
1: Um, I think just the balance between academics and athletics, it really was, it's, Cliche, but it really was the best of both worlds. Throughout my recruitment process, I was always looking for a school where I could get both, where I could get one of the best um, educations in the world, but I also wanted to play at a a very high level. So I think Duke was one of those schools that was able to offer me both. Um, When you think of Duke, you automatically think of basketball. And so I was so excited to be able to play had a program that had so much tradition behind it um to be able to play in cameron indoor stadium was like no other experience um it's hard to explain the feeling of playing in cameron even when i i talk about it and tell stories about certain games in cameron i still get chills which is really lame but it's (laughs) completely honest it really was an experience like no other so i'd say just being able to play in that environment uh, made it really special. And also just the off-court experience being at Duke. You're around so many diverse students, from people from so many different backgrounds, from literally all over the world. I was the only person during my time at Duke, as I met, I'm sure there were some other people from Kentucky, but I never met anyone else from Kentucky which was crazy to me. Um, So I thought it it was a great experience to go outside of my comfort zone and to kind of just be thrown into a situation and have to figure it out. It really made me uh, more mature and able to grow. And I think that's helped me tremendously just being able to interact with different types of people and just have to figure things out. So I think small things like that made it a great experience and, and most importantly just the relationships I built throughout the whole experience. I'm still super close with my teammates. Um, I made some of my best friends there. I absolutely love going back. I was just in Clemson actually this weekend watching the women play at Clemson which is only a couple hours away. So any opportunity I get to be around Duke or be involved with Duke. I'm always the first one to hop on it because I absolutely
0: love my experience. Now, you mentioned that obviously when people hear Duke University, a lot of times they think about basketball and it's a huge basketball school. I'm wondering what the influence was like on the women's side coming from Coach K, somebody who is revered on the men's side. Was there a lot of influence that carried over onto your team?
1: Yes, for sure. Obviously, people think of Duke and their eyes and their minds automatically think of the men's program, which is is well-deserved. Coach K is the best coach in all college basketball, maybe of all time. I will hype him up. But they definitely carried the standard and just being a part of the program overall, it was our obligation to also uphold that standard. So, you know, everything that they did, we would try to mirror it naturally but he, he definitely had a huge influence on our program and just the university overall. I mean, there's kids who went to Duke obviously because of academics, but also because of the basketball program. You know, they want to be able to be in the stands and root for one of the best teams in all of college basketball. So I thought it was great to be able to share a university with him. We shared the Facilities, Cameron, and everything, and so I, I saw him pretty frequently during my time at Duke, and was able to grow a little relationship with him. I would say he—he he definitely. Um, I have I've had many conversations with him, and he's been super supportive of my career, and he's been able to offer me some great advice throughout the years. So to be able to have someone like that to watch and learn from on a, a daily basis was. Just an amazing opportunity.
0: How about some of the differentiators besides the obvious fact that there's a women's team and a men's team? What were some of the main differences that your program had that maybe the men's team didn't necessarily influence, especially coming from somebody like Coach K?
1: I mean, every team is different, obviously, so you can't really compare our programs besides the, the name that was on the front. But um, we all had each had our different dynamics. I think for our team, we were extremely close on the court and off the court, which made our team really special. Um, and I think that just stemmed from our program and the leadership we had um, within our program. I have to credit our seniors every year, especially my freshman year. We had a great group of seniors That were one of the reasons I even committed to Duke, just the family-like atmosphere they were able to build and to be able to see their leadership style. I tried um, to mirror that by the time I was a junior and senior, and just to be able to cultivate a culture where, you know, you're battling with each other on the court, but you're also best friends off the court. And I think that is a direct... Um, correlation of success on the court is how good of your how great your relationships off the court, and that's something I'm really proud of and can confidently say about our team is that we meshed extremely well off the court. We enjoyed being around uh, being around each other at all times, and it really helps in crunch time, like game situations. We have that trust, and it ultimately led to our success um, down
0: the road. In as much detail as you're able to give, can you break down that culture and leadership perspective you just described where you're able to battle on the court but be best friends off of it? Like, how do we get to that point as a team?
1: I think it's just small steps and daily habits. You know, you have to bring it every day to be able to build trust. You can't just earn trust in a day. So I think it, It's just a continuation of of your daily habits, you know, getting to know your teammates, caring, um, showing that you care, trying to get to know their families and, and what's going on in the world because as much as you think you might not know what's going on with someone because you're with them every day, you never know what is actually going on with someone unless you are actually walking in their shoes. So I think just constantly making an effort to try to get to know your teammates on a personal level, I think that goes a long way. And also just being consistent in your daily habits, you know, really falling through on the things you say. For me, I was, it took me a while to grow my leadership style, but from a young, young age, I was always a leader by example. I always prided myself on giving 110% every time, being the first one in the gym, the last one to leave, just doing everything right and treating everyone with respect. Um, And it wasn't until my junior or senior year where I tried to, to add to that and also be a vocal leader as well. And not everyone leads in the same way, and I'll be the first one to acknowledge that. I think there's some people who... Could be super loud and vocal, but there's other people who are good at leading in smaller groups, and I was that person. I could lead by example, but also I did a really good job one-on-one talking to teammates, trying to understand them, trying to relate to them. So I think it's just a matter of figuring out what your leadership style is and trying to find a way to be most effective.
0: How do you, as as a leader, I'm glad you brought this up. So there's obviously a part, I think most people, let me start by saying this. I think most people are very similar to you. They are very comfortable leading one way, but not the other. And Uh if you have to break it down in a very simplistic way, there's two types of leading, right? There's lead by example, and then there's the vocal leaders. Uh How do you, as a leader, keep going and keep, Building on an attribute that doesn't come as naturally to you. Because I'd have to imagine, even if you start to do it, like you start to be a little bit more vocal in your case, that it's still difficult at times and that you still may question yourself at times. So, how do you keep pushing through that?
1: Yeah. So, I think it's helpful to have mentors and to have people above you that can hold you accountable. Um, on your leadership style and for me that was my head coach um, starting my freshman year she would always always be on me to speak up to hold others accountable to um, you know talk in the huddle tell people what they need to do and that was always extremely hard for me because naturally I'm more reserved and timid and my freshman year I was absolutely timid so shy didn't want to talk at all this was a flat-out hustler Um, But the more she was on me, the more I just made an effort to attempt um, to be a vocal leader. And, you know, it took time. But I think with anything, the more reps you do, the more experience you get, the better you become at it. And it's really just a matter of stepping outside of your comfort zone. And, I mean, I remember specific examples trying to speak up and it being an epic failure. But... (laughs) You know, the more I did it, the more comfortable I became at it. And, you know, over time, I had built up enough equity that my teammates respected me. And when I said something, you know, they paid attention because they knew what I put into the program, what I put into the team. And naturally, I just earned respect over time. And then it just came down to a matter of of speaking up. And I think with when you're trying to build that leader, um, leadership style, and you're trying to become more of a vocal leader, I think it's also important to remember just if you're trying to grow one area of leadership, don't lack on your other areas because they definitely go hand in hand.
0: Yes. Thank you so much for expanding on that. And I think it's really important to highlight, similar to the last point that you just made, that a lot of times in leadership roles, you do need to be a chameleon, so to speak. Like You need to be able to connect with one person who reacts in one way to that leadership style, but another person who reacts in a completely different way. And most of us don't have the financial resources to surround ourselves with people who can supplement the type of leadership that maybe we lack. So (laughs) I, I just want to commend you on having the awareness to work on areas where you have shortcomings and just acknowledge the fact that you want to get better and and you can be better. And I think that's something that's really important for anyone who's in a leadership role or aspires to be a leader, just to remember those points.
1: Yes, absolutely. There's so many different personalities you're going to have to deal with, whether it's on the court or in the working world. And I think adaptability and flexibility um, are two of the biggest traits that are important when it comes to leadership and just success overall, no matter what area of work you're in, business, sport, etc.
2: Hey everyone, Christine here from Sweat With Stods, one of this show's sponsors. The Dynamic Leaders Podcast is here to help you be a better leader and the best leaders take care of themselves both mentally and physically. I'm here to help on the physical side by making fitness accessible to everyone. As a certified personal trainer with years of experience coaching fitness classes, I've designed programs that can be followed at home and in the gym. These are intelligently structured programs, giving you a plan to follow to help you be successful. Build strength with my Get Strong at Home program, get quick results with Hit at Home 1 or 2, or work on your health outside of fitness with my Healthy Habits program. As a listener, you can get these programs at a discounted rate by entering code DYNAMIC at checkout. That's D-Y-N-A-M-I-C at checkout. So head on over to sweatwithstods.com, that's sweatwithstods.com, to take the next step toward achieving your health and fitness goals today.
0: All right, I'm going to read off a quote that I read about you and I want you to tell me what comes to mind when you hear this quote. Okay. One of your coaches at Duke, I don't remember which one it was, said that you were one of the greatest competitors they ever coached. What does that mean to you? Shout out to Coach
2: B. Thank
1: you, Coach B. I'm pretty sure that was her. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... I think that goes back to what I was saying. I've always been a leader by example. I'm naturally very competitive, um, and when I, whenever I'm given a goal or a task, I always want to complete it to the best of my ability, and I want to win. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to win or to get whatever that goal is that I've set out for myself, and I think that's what being a competitor is. It's just that natural instinct to go after what you want and to go after it um, with everything you have.
0: Okay. Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned you were able to achieve the dream that you had set out to accomplish by getting drafted by a WNBA team. But to this point, unfortunately, you haven't been able to accomplish the second half of that dream, which is actually play a game. For the Mystics, or just in the WNBA, uh-huh. you are rehabbing from a second knee surgery since your college career ended and mm-hmm. looking to make your WNBA debut this coming season. Could you walk us through what it's been like since you finished up at Duke to this point and just talk about? maybe some of the adversity that you have, you've had to overcome, like how you were able to overcome it. Because I I just think it's remarkable that you're having a second knee surgery, a major knee surgery at that, and you still want to do this. Like you still have this drive to put yourself out there both physically and mentally. So I'd love for you to be able to tell us maybe a little bit how you've been able to overcome all of that.
1: Yeah. So it's really just a mindset once you, once I make up my mind about something, I try to do everything and anything I can to accomplish it. And it's also about staying positive. Um, whenever adversity is thrown at you, something negative is thrown at you, you can handle it anyway, based on how you approach it, your perspective on things, and your mindset. And that's been the biggest help for me throughout my life and throughout my career, and especially when dealing with adversity. So I'm a little background about that situation. Like you said, yes, was drafted right out of college, but had a knee injury throughout my senior year, had it fixed the day of the draft. Plan A was, I knew it would take about a year to recover, but the hope was to you know take off a year of rehab and then come back into the WNBA 100% healthy and ready to go. But unfortunately, things didn't turn out the way I expected. The injury didn't heal properly from the surgery. Um, And so I I rehabbed for about 14 months is what it ended up being and still hurt throughout the entire process. And then finally, my doctors were like, okay, okay. The cartilage, the new cartilage that you received did not heal properly. So, we're going to have to start from scratch and figure out a new game plan, which at the time was extremely devastating to, you know, rehab for over a year, have to sit out and then find out you have to start all over from scratch. So, you know, obviously not the best news you could get, but I found a way to think differently about it and to try to see the positives in it. And looking back, there were a lot of positives that came out of it. You know, I I didn't get to play right away, but while I was not playing, I got a ton of great off-court experience. I was able to do an internship in Chicago in sports marketing. Um, I was able to work at Duke in the athletic department for a year and do color commentating for the women's team. Also got a nice gig with the Atlanta Hawks. So all the off-court opportunities that came because of that situation um, allowed me to look at it in a positive light. So now, my current situation, I had another injury, I mean another surgery to fix the first surgery that didn't go right um, in September. And so I'm now about four and a half months out. Almost five months, and it's feeling really good. Um, so I told myself, you know, if, if my knee's feeling good, and if I'm in a good situation, and it's it's healed, and I'm able to play, I want to do it. I mean, I've I put so much skin in the game, and I've been right there, right, um, almost accomplishing my dream for so long. I would, I couldn't think about, I couldn't um, let myself just quit if I'm this close. So. That is my current plan. I still want to try to play and I'm still rehabbing like I would be playing for now. It's just a matter of if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. So like you said, I hope to be healthy within the next month or two. And if I have a shot to play in the WBA, I certainly want to pursue it. But I think the overall theme of my situation is just using a positive mindset and a positive perspective on things to overcome any and all adversity because that has helped me tremendously with this situation with my prior injuries and i think no matter what going through a situation like this has given me great perspective on things Um, there's not a lot that can upset me anymore because everything seems very little when there's an inconvenience that would bother somebody normally. It, it takes a lot to get me upset just because of all that's been thrown at me. So I think it's, it certainly made me resilient. And I think having this characteristic and this trait will certainly help me in the long run with whatever's thrown at me down the road.
0: Yeah. And I really appreciate you being so candid with all of that's happened and it couldn't have been easy. It's probably still not easy, obviously. And I think I've read that you said that you would, would have liked to, at this point, had the two years of playing experience, but what you've gained off the court has really been invaluable. And in, in that sense, it's comforting in, in some ways and still probably devastating <laughs> in others. What right. What I'm curious about, so a lot of us just, I want to say the general population, we are doing a fair amount of juggling a career, a family, fitness, whatever it is. Your juggling includes being able to get to an elite level. How are you able to keep that balance, like do your work with the Hawks, but also do your rehab to get back to playing at a high level that you were known for so that you could potentially play at one of the the highest levels, well, the highest level in America for basketball?
1: It's not easy. It's, it's extremely hard. Um, It takes a lot of sacrifices Luckily, the Hawks are understanding and let me work part-time, which helps a lot, so it's really about time management and staying consistent with things. I have a strict schedule, and I I stick to the schedule, and it's hard to be motivated sometimes and to hold myself accountable because I'm not in that team environment on the court like I was at Duke, so... Sometimes it, it takes a little bit of extra motivation, um, and I just try to remember what the what the goal is and what I'm trying to accomplish. But the main skill it takes is just time management. So I'll work out. My typical daily schedule is I'll work out in the mornings around six a.m. Do my rehab, lift, cardio, etc. From six till like eight or so, eight or eight thirty, usually eight. And then I'll I'll go into work from nine to three or four most days, and some days I'll do two a days. So in the afternoon after work, I'll go get some shots up, maybe get some more cardio in, yoga, etc. And then I'll have PT at Emory Physical Therapy twice a week. So it's really just about holding myself accountable trying to stick to a schedule and just remembering the why of everything I'm doing.
0: I don't normally ask these specific type of fitness questions, but since you are in the midst of a recovery and trying to get back to an elite level, I think it's appropriate, at least for our conversation. I'm curious if you could just share maybe one or two big points of emphasis that you've learned from the physical fitness standpoint that you didn't necessarily know about before you had gotten injured like have there been lessons about how you take care of yourself or even how you train that you've had to alter
1: yeah um, for sure so my injury is very specific I don't have to go into all the details but basically my injury is a, a really tough one to overcome it's a cartilage injury so it's it's honestly worse. it's worse than an ACL ACLs are nothing I've had ACLs Your ligaments torn, they fix it. You rehab, you're good. But with cartilage, you really have to be careful because there's no blood supply around the cartilage. So if it's injured, it's hard to heal. It takes a lot of time. So it's really just about being careful, knowing what my limits are. Because of my injury, I'm never going to be able to train the same. I have to train differently. So when I was younger and injury-free, you know, I could run 10 miles on the treadmill and be completely fine or I could go work out for three hours and have no issues but now with my injury it's about training smart not long so there's certain things that I'll avoid there's certain things I'll do more of and it's really just about knowing my body and knowing my limits and having to know how to get the most out of my body with my limitations That's a super vague answer, but that's (laughs) that's the best way I can think to explain it. But I guess um, two other more simple answers to that are diet has been a big emphasis for me. I used to eat anything and everything I wanted in college because I was working out like four hours a day. But now that's not the case. I have to be smarter about what I put in my body. And the other thing is just strength. Um, I really value Lower body strength, because with any knee injury, the stronger you get your muscles around it, the better the knee is going to be. So I've put a huge emphasis on lower body strength, and that's something I'll go after and attack every day because I know that's the most important emphasis for me right now if I want to get back to playing.
0: Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. Now, I'll admit I'm not... 100% familiar with all the technical intricacies of the WNBA and how contracts work. So you are drafted by the Mystics and you've yet to play a game. Are you still under contract with them? Are you a free agent? How does that work?
1: They have my rights, which all that essentially means is that I have a spot in training camp. Okay. So they had my rights right out of college. They held them for a year was injured, um, and then they retained them. So essentially, same thing. I just have a spot in training camp this spring. Yeah, that's pretty much it.
0: Okay, so that helps give me and the listeners some context into everything. It actually reminds me of the reserve clause that Major League Baseball used to have back in the day. But anyway, you have a roster spot that you can earn as a a full-time like permanent playing spot, I think is, is what you're saying, correct?
1: Correct. Yes, I'll just have to make it through training camp, and then it's 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 essentially a tryout. Training camp is just a tryout, and I have a spot in there, and I have to earn my spot.
0: Okay, cool. So the reason that I'm trying to understand this a little bit more is because, and for those who don't know, the Mystics just wrapped up last season, winning the championship in the WNBA, and from what I know, for the most part, are bringing back most of the pieces from that championship run. So I'm curious, from your perspective, knowing that and knowing that you're already facing somewhat of an uphill battle with your injury, how how do you, on top of all that, factor that part of it in to say that, hey, I need to earn this roster spot in order to play for the defending champs so that I could have an opportunity to help them maybe win back-to-back titles?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a huge um, obstacle to face. but. I'm not going to put any pressure on myself. I mean, I'm just going to go and do my best. And, you know, best case scenario, I make the team. I think I could offer value just knowing I'm a shooter. I think any shooter can hold a valuable, valuable position on any team, even if it's the defending WNBA champions. And, you know, worst case scenario, they cut me, but there's 11 other teams, so maybe someone else needs a shooter. So... You know, I'm not putting any pressure on myself and I'm just going to go into it with a positive mindset because that's, that's worked well for me in the past with other tough obstacles I've faced.
0: I love that answer so much. Not putting unnecessary pressure on yourself, right? Like, you know what you're up against, you know, maybe what the odds are of everything going according to plan, but your perspective based on what you've learned through your injury. So not only like you mentioned, are there 11 other teams that might be interested in you, but you've also already now established a brand in, in confidence outside of basketball off the court that you can also fall back on if that's something that you choose to do. So it's almost like to me that you're in a win-win situation, like you make the team, you play. If you don't make the team, you have options to fall back on. And that must be a, a pretty comforting feeling to be a part of.
1: Yes, absolutely. Like I said, number one goal to, would be to play again. But I've learned things don't always go to go to the way you plan. And like you said, I think I've put myself in a position to succeed off the court as well. So if that's ultimately ends up being my option, then I'm not upset about it at all. There's definitely ways to be fulfilled off the court as well. And I've experienced that these past almost two years as I've dealt with this injury. So I'm not worried with whatever happens. I'm just going to put my best foot forward and take it one day at a time and see what
0: happens. That's such excellent perspective for any young listeners. Just be a well-rounded person and you you will always find opportunities but it's it's the it's the folks who try to be a little too let's say specialist with what they do that sometimes yeah. run into that roadblock and then they run into that identity crisis and and I think you're way ahead of where most people your age are. So again, I I commend you on that. And just to, to wrap up this part of the conversation, regardless of what happens here over the course of the next couple months, couple years with basketball, there's going to come a time where whether it's due to injury or whether it's due to the fact that you just don't want to play anymore, that you're going to move on from your competitive career. What are some things that you want to do and accomplish post-basketball when it when it gets to that point? Do you have ideas lined up or do you want to get into coaching? What, what does that look like?
1: So I've fortunately been able to experience a lot of different career paths within the past two years within the sports industry. Um, I think I definitely want to stay in the sports business industry just so I'm around the game I love. And I've learned that there's many different avenues you can take within it. In the past two years, I've had experience in sports marketing, broadcasting. I do personal training and group basketball skills training. Now my current role with the Hawks, I get to do a little bit of everything. It's mainly events is, is probably the best way to describe it. So there's a lot of different avenues you can take within sports. I think I love all of them and I don't like to specialize in anything because I have many different interests. But I, I really like my current role with the Hawks because it allows me to explore many different areas. Um, we do we work in basketball development, so we run all of our youth basketball initiatives and coaches' resources, youth coaches' resources. So what that means is we do our camps, clinics, tournaments, coaches' clinics, corporate sponsorship events—you name it. Essentially, anything to grow the game of basketball and also grow the Atlanta Hawks brand so it's a lot of marketing but marketing is a huge umbrella term for all the different things we get to do with it so I think the best way to summarize what I'm doing now is building relationships and experiences through basketball and that's something I want to be able to do with whatever career I take whether that's coaching, you're building relationships and experiences through basketball, whether it's marketing, whether that's broadcasting. Anyway, I can continue to do that. I'm going to enjoy it because that's that's definitely my passion.
0: What are your thoughts on the new CBA agreement and the WNBA? I'm sure they're mostly positive thoughts, but I'd love for you to just share your perspective on that.
1: Yeah, so it's amazing, um, first and foremost. I mean, it it really excites me. I think that looking back, I mean, there's not as much motivation there before the new CBA for women to, you know, really pursue a professional career. It wasn't really – I mean, yeah, there's the WNBA, but when you look at either going to the WNBA or, you know – Starting out with a great job and making six figures, it wasn't a 100% easy decision. But now, with the current CBA and everything that it offers, I think it's an amazing opportunity for women to really want to pursue the WBA. Now, starting out, rookies can earn $60,000. The top players in the WBA can earn $500,000. So there's so much opportunity there for women now. So I think it's really groundbreaking, so exciting. It's about time. And I know personally it's made me want to pursue my goal even more so than before. So I I really think
2: it's an amazing agreement. And I'm really excited to see how it goes
1: and see what comes from it.
0: Yeah, uh, there's a lot of really great aspects. And there was an article I was just reading on The Athletic that really broke it down very well. And I encourage people just to follow up and read a little bit more and maybe get excited about where the WNBA is going because it's it's going to continue to grow. And there's a lot that comes out of this. And I think one of the best things for me, and this is something that's always frustrated me as a fan, is that a lot of women feel the need to play overseas. And that means they play all year long. And someone like Brianna Stewart, who obviously just had that devastating ACL injury while she was playing overseas and she's from where i grew up in the syracuse new york area so someone i've been following for a real long time and to see that happen to her and and know that it was partially related to the fact that she's not getting paid obviously that's not the only factor and everything but it's just really cool from an outside perspective to see that the wmba is starting to pick up traction much like all of the men's sports did back in the you know, 60s 70s where they were struggling franchises are excuse me they were struggling leagues as well at one point so they they weren't always like they are now and i think when you put that perspective to it and know that if the nba for example was at the same point where the wmba was back in the 1960s and then you see where the nba is today that that bodes really well for the WNBA's future
1: yes absolutely and i think the overseas component is huge um especially when I look at the WNBA for someone like me who's, who's had injuries before it's going to be just looking at the landscape beforehand. It's nearly impossible for someone like me or anybody that is to play year round, you know, that takes a huge toll on your body. So now the way it's set up, um, it excites me even more. Women will have the opportunity to play WNBA and then in the off season they can rest, but there's still opportunities to, get business experience, working with partnered organizations, um, getting into broadcasting. Um, there's so many opportunities. So I really can't say enough about the leaders who helped create that new CBA. And I am so excited. And it's it's really a win-win for everybody.
0: Yes, absolutely. Okay, Becca. So we are wrapping up our conversation. But before I let you go, a couple things. If anyone wants to follow along with your progress, maybe on social media, where, where can we find you?
1: Yes, so my Instagram is bgreenwell 23 My Twitter is the same thing, be greenwell23. And every once in a while I'll write a blog, which I personally think is super entertaining. Read my blog on my website at rebecca It's just my name, Rebecca So definitely tune in and would
0: appreciate a follow and maybe I'll follow back. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'll link all of that to the show notes for easy reference for our listening audience. We've talked a lot about your leadership development and just the adversity that you've overcome and you've displayed so many of the elements of what we call dynamic leadership and the show is called Dynamic Leaders and I always like to give my guest an opportunity to shout out someone who has showcase leadership qualities in their life. Do you have somebody that you want to give a quick shout out to today?
1: Yeah, I'll give a quick shout out to my old teammate, Kyra Lambert. She has faced probably just as much adversity, maybe more than me. But she is someone who I think has shown exceptional dynamic leader leadership with everything she's been dealt with. She was out for almost three years at Duke and she's now in her senior year back playing again so that's been huge motivation for me to see the way she's overcome her injury and the positive attitude she's thrown she's shown throughout the whole process and to see her now having success on the court again has been super inspirational for me so shout out to Kyra
0: great way to end this conversation. Becca, I really appreciate you taking time. And I know I'm personally going to be rooting hard for you to get back and achieve that ultimate goal. And I know either way you're going to be very successful, but thank you again so much for taking some time to chat with us and to share everything that you've learned.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.